How are you? Good? Fine? Fine? Good? Chris, how are you? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I always wanted to do stand-up, so I thought I'd just, you know, get out of the system. Um, but what we're, that's what we're looking at this morning. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How, how have you been? There's a real temptation whenever someone asks you that, just to answer, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, yeah, all, all fine, no shabby, you might say, if you're from the borders. Um, and... That's okay. Like, it's okay not to just cry on everyone and just, you know, lose control of yourself every time someone asks you how you are. But it can sometimes feel like we're wearing masks. I don't know if you saw on the BBC website a few, um, a few months ago. Um, have you heard of FaceApp? It's a, an app you can get for your phone that does, like, a, like, augmented reality thing, so it can change faces. So this guy was in Holland, and he was going around a, um, a gallery... And obviously, it's quite boring doing that. So he thought he'd make it fun by um, taking photos and then making them smile. So I thought I'd maybe show you some of them. So if we can roll the first one. Um, and it's really amazing <laughs> what an effect it can have on people. Just a little smile. If we go on to the next one, that'd be great. You just feel so much better about yourself, don't you? And there's another, there's another couple, so we'll just go through them all. And there's another one. Sorry, I probably did too many. And then the last one, actually, this next one is my favorite. <laughs> it's really, really good. But we can feel that pressure, can't we? Just walk around constantly with a smile on our face. Everything's fine. But this morning, we've got a chance to be before God. We've got a bit of time now where you can just be before him and be honest. How are you doing really? How have things been going? How are you feeling? I've been asked specifically to look at the issue of loneliness. Now, loneliness is a big issue in our society. There was recently a study um, published by, um, it was a joint one done by the Red Cross and the Co-op, and um, they were looking at the issue of loneliness in our society. You won't be surprised to hear it was a big issue, but the stats were really quite, quite scary. Just under one in five people in the UK says they feel lonely most days or every day. Just think about it for a minute. One in five. How many of your friends are feeling lonely today? How many of your family are feeling lonely today? And there's lots of different types of loneliness, isn't there? There's, there's the obvious type of loneliness. Maybe you're literally on your own. You don't have someone around, few friends. But there's also different kinds of loneliness. Maybe you've got lots of acquaintances, but you don't really have any close people, no one you're really doing life with. Maybe you've found that life hasn't worked out quite as you hoped. Maybe your marriage isn't as close as you were hoping and relationships and friendships haven't worked out. Everything feels a bit superficial. You might have unmet expectations. Also, you might have lost somebody or gone through a major life change. The study found a number of high-risk groups for people who, are, who can go through really severe loneliness. And it's good just to, for us to run through them. If, if you're going through this, I really hope my, my sermon this morning will bless you. And if you're not, chances are you are going to go through these at some point, and you're going to know people that are going through them. So the first is new mums. Now, especially new mums under the age of 24, so young new mums, but all new mums, it's a really tough time. Um, we've got a six-week-old at home, and I can testify it's not the easiest thing we've done. Um, and so you can get very isolated if you're a new mum. It's hard to get out. You, want to, you make plans to see people, and you have to cancel last minute. It's just really tough. People with mobility problems... So people who just, who just physically can't get out. So this, would, this often is elderly people, but younger people as well with mobility problems who can't get out. They're really high risk for being extremely lonely. Chronic health problems as well. Again, the issue is getting out to see people, but also if you're out seeing people and you're in pain or you can't breathe properly, it's, it's really hard to have a conversation. 
People who are recently divorced or separated. It's so sad how, how many marriages just dissolve around us. And, and it's such a, a, just a key time for people to feel so lonely, so abandoned. We need to watch out for people who are in that situation and, and make time for them. Retired people as well, and people whose children have left home, empty nesters. This is another time of life when, when people can start to feel extremely lonely and, and don't have people around them. And finally, people who've gone through a bereavement recently. So that's in the, last, in the last two years, they say. So anyone that's lost someone, especially if it's like someone close, a parent or a partner, um, these people can, can really struggle. So we're all going to face at least one of these situations in our life. How are you going to cope? And for people you know in these situations, how are you going to show God's love to them? There are a number of effects of loneliness from the research as well. I've got some quotes here. They're quite, they're quite sad. One, one girl in her 20s said, you feel like you're in a black pit and there's no light and you're struggling. You want to get out, but you can't get out. She's got health problems, that girl. This, an older person said, my energy levels are low. I feel tired and a loss of confidence to go out and meet new people. Another woman in her 40s said, isolation is depressing. So you go into depression. I've had mornings where I'm so depressed, I've gone back to bed, and I've said, when I wake up, it will be different. This is not God's intention for us, and it's not his intention for people around us. God has a lot to say about loneliness. I was praying about what what to talk about, and I felt God leading me to Psalm 68. Um, So we're going to look at that um, for the rest of my talk. Um, Initially reading the passage, I was like, hmm, this seems a bit strange where we're going here. But as I looked into it more, I saw some really life-changing things. So I'm really excited to be able to share them with you this morning. So if you've got your Bible, please turn or your app. Psalm 68, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. It will be up on the screen behind me, but it's really good if you've got it in front of you so you can follow along as well. Just a quick bit of background before I read it. This is Psalm. It was written by David. The event for him writing it was um, the return of the ark to Jerusalem. So um, just a quick bit of history. The ark was a physical uh, representation of God's presence with his people, but it had been lost. It wasn't where it should be, and David had the opportunity to bring it back. So as he's bringing it back, he's so full of thankfulness and worship to God, and he starts to meditate on God's goodness and his character, and this Psalm kind of arises up out of him. So let's just read verses 1 to 6. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts, His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles a solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 first. Now, this is a bit bit more difficult to understand, but we'll, we'll go through it. And I hope you'll see it's really, really amazing. So the first bit, God shall arise. So I want you to, imit, to just imagine in your head that you're in the court of a glorious king. This is maybe 1,000 BC, an ancient, um, great, um, I don't know, big room, lots of stone, fire, all that sort of stuff. And you're standing there, and the king is taking counsel. And he's looking around, and he's seeing what's happening. And then, literally, the Hebrew means get up. The king is sitting there, and then he stands up, and you know, okay, something's about to happen. This is what David's saying about God. God has decided to act. It's time for action. You can hear him saying, right, 
it's time. The crowd around is hushed. What will this great king do? So there's two groups of people that we see here. The first are his enemies and the second are the righteous. So the first group, this is a group who hate God and they're, they're completely dissipated. It says that they flee before him. Have these images of smoke being blown away. If you imagine that there's a candle and then you just blow it and if you blow it enough, the smoke's completely gone. Wax, if you think about Madame Tussauds, these statues there, they look, they look so lifelike and imposing, but actually um, in the heat, they, they melt away to nothing. Nothing and no one can stand against God when he decides to act. And there's a second group here, the righteous. And it says there that they shall be glad, they will sing before God, and they will be filled with joy. So who are these groups? Who are the enemies and who are the righteous? So for David, I I think it would have been two things. I think the enemies would have been mainly people who were in different countries around him, who were physically attacking the nation state of Israel. And the righteous were those who were part of the Israelite nation, but had made commitments and were following God's laws and God's, and God's commandments. They were following God with their hearts. But there's some deeper meanings for us to see here. Firstly, we have a great enemy, Satan and demons. They have a plan to corrupt God's righteous um, creation, his wonderful creation. They want to make people feel isolated, miserable. They spread loneliness, isolation, misery. A time is coming when God is going to say, enough. His enemies will flee before him. Satan and his, and his agents will have no power in that day. Righteous, as we're saying this morning, whenever we trust in Jesus, we go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. So before I trusted in Jesus, I, I thought I was quite good. I was doing quite a lot of good things. But actually, I was God's enemy because I didn't love him in my heart. But it says that when we come to Jesus, when we accept him, when we accept his blood and his righteousness for us, we, we, be, we stand before God as if we've done nothing wrong. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness, his perfection, right standing before God. So look at the effects for those who have done this. There's gladness and there's singing. We're jubilant with joy. God's enemies will one day flee. They will no longer affect those of us who have trusted in Jesus. So just think about this for a moment. A day is coming when there will be no isolation for those who have trusted in Jesus. There will be perfect relationships for those who have trusted in Jesus. Complete joy, complete harmony, loneliness, depression, anxiety, gone. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're going through any of these things, this is a temporary state. This is not the final answer. A time is coming when this will never affect you again. At the end of the day, we either choose to submit to God, accepting the righteousness he gives us, or we refuse to. There's great reward for those who love Jesus. Jesus is inviting you today, if you don't know him, to come to know him. If you trust him, he can change your life completely. But if we go on to verses four to six, David starts to answer the question, what about now? So I know that in the future, there's this great hope for me. I can see this great time coming. But what about now? How do we respond to loneliness and isolation? David gives us some suggestions. Firstly, we're to praise God. If you look at verse 4, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. He says it three times to sing. We're told to exult as well. We make a decision to sing praises to God. Even if we don't feel like it, we decide that's what we're going to do. This can be really, really hard. If you're struggling, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling isolated, actually, 
sometimes the last thing you want to do is to praise God. But David is saying here to, to actually make a decision in your heart that you're going to do it. Why? It seems very hard if you don't feel like it. Well, there's a few reasons. Firstly, it reminds us that God is there. When we are praising God, especially if you're on your own, you realize you're singing to an empty room, and it does something in us. It reminds us that actually God is there with us all the time. We're never alone. It reminds us who he is and what he is like. As we sing and praise God, there's so many great lines that come to us, so many great, um, great truths that we're singing, and these get into our heart. They remind us who God is, what he's like, what his character is like. It also helps to give us perspective on our situation. We can praise God and we can see that he has great plans for the world. We can also remember what he's done for us in the past. And this can help to build up our faith that he will act again in the future. And also, as we praise and we sing God, it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to act in us and to work in us. So many times I've found that, um, you know, just wherever, but I'm, as I'm praising, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to me and remind me of things about how God is so good. So even though, even though you might not feel like it, just make that decision that you're going to praise God. And actually, you say, I don't feel like it, but that, that's the point. It's easy to start looking inward if you're lonely. You need to decide to look outward to God. Truths about him remain the same, no matter what is happening in our lives. As you start to praise, you will notice a change. And actually, as you praise him, you'll feel that you want to do it more and more. And so David decides to focus on two areas of God's character. So this verse, verse 5, is really absolutely key to what I'm talking about this morning. So if you've been drifting off, you can just focus for like two minutes, and then you can drift off again, that's fine. Um, but this is a really key, key part. Father of the fatherless. Sorry, I'm spilling tea. Father of the fatherless. It's the core identity of God the Father. So... Before time began, God was a loving father, loving the son, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Just think about that. God has been loving eternally. He is a father, and he, he loves you. He has no expectations on you. As I said, I became a father six weeks ago, and as, as Ezra was born and I saw him for the first time, it, my heart was just filled with this unbelievable love. Now, it doesn't, it kind of grows over the time, but the first time you see him, you're just like, flip, this guy is so small, he's so vulnerable, and he's mine to look after. And you just look at him, and you're, you're just filled with, with love for him. But there's nothing he can do for me. The last six weeks have been six weeks of <laughs> him making constant demands, crying till I feed him, vomiting on me, covering me with other things, <laughs> screaming, not sleeping, and he never says thank you. He hasn't even smiled at me yet. He smiled at Lauren yesterday. <laughs> How's that supposed to make me feel? But that's what he's like. But it doesn't matter. He doesn't need to do anything to deserve my love. I just, I just love him. He's my son. How much more true is this of God? He doesn't have these expectations on you to earn his love. He just loves you. He created you. It says that before the world was created, he knew you. He knew your name. He knew every day that you would live. He knows the day that you will die or that he comes back. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. He's crazy about you. You look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, I am incredibly loved. Let's just think about that for a moment. You are incredibly loved. Do you believe that? 
Do you know that? It is so true. And actually, it's more true than you feel. It's, it's a truth which is outside that. It's a truth like water is wet and snow is cold. This physical truth, this is true about God's love. It's just a fact. He's crazy about you. He doesn't want bad things for you. He is a loving father. He wants good things for you. But if we go on to the next verse, you see this other side of God. It says that he's a protector of widows. Now, if you look at the Hebrew protector, um, I don't think the ESV did a great job translating it, not that I'm amazing at ancient Hebrew, but um, um, when you look it up, it actually says judge, and that's what it says in the King James. So, Judge is a really funny word to use of God, because if you're like, oh, he's such a loving father, it's great, he loves me, he wants a good thing, and then on this side, it's like, grumpy judge. But is that how God is? If we think about judge for a minute and what it means, then we know that God is good. So if you think about a good judge, and someone comes before him, this widow, this elderly lady, she's been mistreated, and she's coming to this judge asking for justice. She needs him to act. She doesn't come to someone who is weak. She comes to someone who is strong, who has the power to change things. And this is the other thing about God. He reigns supreme. He is supreme over everything. He knows your days. He knows what's going to happen to you. And he can change things. He knows what's happening in the world. And he can change things. He controls everything that happens. And we see this evil around us. It's hard to understand. But the Bible is clear. God is in charge. God knows what he is doing. And so for people who are lonely, this is a really difficult tension to be held in. You're saying, God loves me just as I am. He, he doesn't have these expectations. He, he has this great love for me. And, and yet, I'm in this place where I'm, I feel lonely. I lost somebody. I can't get out. What is going on, God? Surely, if you're loving, surely if you love me, surely if you want good things for me, then I would not be going through this. You are strong. You're a judge. You can sort this out. So what's the answer? To be honest, this is the toughest question in Christianity. The only answer I can give you is a story. There's a tension. If the supreme judge has the power to change things, why are you suffering? So I grew up in a small village in the borders, and... We moved there when I was really, really small. And it was a funny place for us to move because my dad, essentially, we were, we were middle class. And my dad worked in a business. He commuted into Edinburgh for work. And we were living in this place where everyone else was a farmer or kind of worked in more manual labor. And so we just didn't fit in. And this started to, so my parents got quite a lot of bother initially from other people, um, and then this kind of filtered down into school. So from the age I was about seven, I started to get bullied. And this happened on and on and on. Now, it started off quite, quite low-key. Obviously, I was seven. I can't remember everything. But most days at school, I would be called names. I was excluded from things. I wasn't allowed to play with the other, with the other kids. Um, and then sometimes it got a bit worse. Occasionally, there was some physical stuff. But normally, it was this exclusion. And it went on for years and years. I think it probably went on until I was about 16, actually. So that was about nine years. And because I was growing up in this, um, I was actually outside of the village, so we had to get a bus into school every morning, and I remember just dreading it. It was 20 minutes, and I would be shaking. Before I got on the bus, I'd be there with my mum, and be like, I don't want to go to school, I don't want to go to school. And she'd be like, well, you're going to school. So I got on the bus, and, and there were so many different things that happened, and I just felt so lonely and so isolated and so just like I'm different, what's going on? And it, it just got, it actually got worse um, for quite a while. There was a time whenever I went up to high school, that's when it got, got really bad. And there was um, one guy in particular, I remember, really just didn't like me for whatever reason. Um, and 
got into some fights in the bus and things. It was really, it was really quite bad for a while. Um, I remember coming home in tears and just being like, what, what are we going to do? Um, but we were, we were there and just had to get through it. However, um, when I was 16, my aunt, who isn't a Christian, gave me a copy of a book called Mere Christianity um, by C.S. Lewis. And I read it. And now I did go to church with my mom when I was smaller, but as I read this, I was just awestruck by this God I saw. Whereas I felt isolated and lonely, I saw this God who, who was crazy about me, who loved me, who accepted me, who, even though I'd committed so many sins and I felt so bad about things, he just absolutely loved me and adored me. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. And he had time for me. He wanted me. He accepted me. There was just no, no option for me. My, my life wasn't great. I saw God. I just gave him my whole heart. And, you know, recently I was looking back at things and chatting to people. You know, almost no one I went to church with who was my age is following God. I think there's maybe one person out of maybe 20. I don't know anyone from my school that's following God. You know, I don't know if I'd not gone through that suffering, if I'd be following God now. And I know that God is infinitely worth more than all that suffering I went through. All that loneliness, all that isolation was actually worth it for me because I gained God. God is a loving father. He wanted good for me, but yet he is powerful. And he knew that this was his plan for me and this is what he had planned. Now, I don't know everything. I don't know if there was a different way he could have done it. But I trust him because I know that he's good and I know that he had a plan for me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'll read it again. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So this morning, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling alone, hang in there. God does have a plan. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. He has got a plan. But there's hope for now as well. As we go on to verse 6, it says, God settles the solitary in a home. Again, another translation, he puts the lonely into families. So home in the Bible is strongly linked with family. So you might read in the Old Testament, oh, the house of Abraham and things like that. It means his family. It means um, all the people there. So it says God takes people who are lonely and isolated and he puts them into a family. Kings is a wonderful family. I love this church. I love you guys. What a fantastic community we're a part of. After Ezra was born, I was blown away by the generosity of so many of you. It's unbelievable how much support we've been given, how much help, how much food, how many clothes, how many toys. Lauren's mum is over visiting from South Africa. She's been in church for 69 years, and she said, I've never seen a church like this. I've never known a church to be so supportive. We are so blessed to have this church. I'm so glad to be here. There's so many amazing people. We want to build our community stronger and stronger. Together, we can fight loneliness and isolation, and we can invite those who don't know God into our family and help them to know him. Building community takes a lot of effort, but the rewards are worth it. When you decide to give someone a lift, you're not just being nice. You're fighting the evil of loneliness and isolation. When you decide to show someone kindness and give them time, you're expanding God's kingdom 
And God's kingdom is very different from the world. In God's kingdom, everyone matters. Everyone's important. Everyone deserves to be listened to. When you invite people into your home, you're being their family. You're loving them. And they're doing the same for you. Community is such a precious thing. And our our society is desperate for it. There was a survey done in Brunsfield amongst non-Christians looking at and asking the question, what do you think society misses the most? What do you think the church could provide? 80% of people, their first answer, community. We live in a desperately lonely place. About a month ago, I was working in, I'm a GP, I was working in a um, practice near here and I was called to a suicide. It's the first time I've been. And it was a guy who was just a few years older than me. And he lived really close to us. This guy was so lonely, so isolated, he decided to take his life. People are desperate. People are absolutely desperate. And we have hope. We have life. We have joy. We have community to give them. Building a community is not just about making it nice for us. It's about creating something the world can't understand. It's about creating something which is so inviting that non-Christians just, just flock to it. And we've seen this before. So many people come, come along and say, well, I wasn't a Christian, but I came to Kings and people were so nice and people took notice of me and they spoke to me. It was amazing. We want to build this more and more. We're a church of what, 200, 250? How many people are there in Edinburgh? There's so much need for community. We can do it. So how do we do it? Firstly, there's too many people for you to do everything on your own. There's too many people. So you need to ask God, who can you be supporting? There's people at your work who are lonely. There's people um, around you in church who are lonely. Ask God, and I'm sure he will give you someone. And it doesn't take a big commitment, maybe a coffee every now and then, just a text, just asking people who are doing this. Just is so powerful to help people. Be honest with people around you as well. If you're struggling, if you're going through a difficult time, tell someone. People love to help. If, you, if people have the love of Jesus in them, they are they're so happy to help. They'd love to pray with you. And we would love to pray with you. We would love to, to support you and be there with you. And you're chatting to people. Ask people how they're doing and really listen. It's so hard if you're going through a lot of things as well. But just, just be like, you know what? I'm just going to listen. For the next two minutes, I'm not going to say anything. Just listen. Ask them how they're doing. Really listen. Stay engaged. Sometimes it can be hard to feel a part of community if you don't come to things. It's hard to feel a part of a small group if you're not there very often. And now I realize there's, there's lots of things, people work, and there's lots of different commitments, but, but make an effort to come to things. Make the effort to get out. I'm just going to do a quick plug for small groups, but small groups are amazing. Are small groups amazing? Yes. Thank you. Um, they are great. Small groups are small communities where we meet together every week, about 8 to 12 people, and we get together, we chat have tea, cake, whatever, study the Bible, worship God, but we build community. You know, I've seen so many people who have been just, just lost and actually have come through. I've had, I've had patients who've told me about it in, um, in a different church, actually, who, who just have experienced this love of, of Christian community. Whenever we come along to small group, you're receiving support from other people, and also you're giving support to people. Now, I don't want you to feel like every time you're coming along, you're asking someone else, oh, this is just wearing me out. Actually, you're, you're actually helping to build up the body of Christ, but also loving yourself, because if you're building a strong community, there's times when you're going to need a strong community for you. As we build a community around us, we get this great reward, and it will be uncomfortable. Giving does come at a cost. It will take up your time. 
It will take up your money. It will take up your effort. It will take up your energy. But God is more than able to supply what you lack. Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Just read it again. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Can I urge you to lose some of your life on someone else, to give up that time to support someone, to, to maybe go and visit someone who you think might be lonely, to invite someone out, to invite someone around? Who is God asking you to show love to? Giving time, asking, and listening. As I said, the world is absolutely desperate for this. Nothing else is like it in the world. A well-functioning community of people filled with God's love. One of Lauren's friends, she's a non-Christian, and she had a baby just a couple of weeks after us. And we've been blessed so much, we're like, we should probably give them some food or something. So we, um, I really couldn't be bothered cooking, so we just bought a pie and brought it around to them. It really wasn't that great. But they couldn't believe it. We got this text saying, this is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. This is the best care package I've ever received. I gave them a pie. It was really, <laughs> it was really not a big deal. But they couldn't believe it. I think we, in, in the Christian community, I don't think we quite realize what it's like to not be a Christian. It's really tough a lot of the time. If you can go out, if you can show this love to people, people are so attracted to it. And I just urge you to think just now, to ask God, who can you do this for? Who can you show love to? So I'm going to ask the band to come back up, please. And we're going to put David's advice into action. As he said, the first thing to do is to sing. And so I want you to do that. We're going to praise God together. And I just want you to really go for it. Just praise him with all your heart. Make a decision, even if you don't feel like it. Then I'm going to come back up, and we're just going to give the Holy Spirit a bit of time. We've touched on a lot of sensitive issues, and we're giving some time to, to, to speak and see what he does. Thanks very much.